the LA Times Sports section will give you the X's and O's, give you the results, take you behind the scenes. And during all-star break for the NBA sports section, hooked up with the fashion department, and they really went behind the scenes. A sneaker preview they had LZ Granderson working on it. They had Dan Wojcicki working on it. They had Arash Markazi working on it. Tanya Gagulli contributed. Everybody in the LA Times said, you know what? Let's find a different way to tell a story. And you might just be thinking, basketball sneakers, what's the big deal? Well, it's 2019. There's a huge sneaker business. There are now sneaker reporters. There are people making a career out of this. And Dan Wojcicki went down memory lane. Remember that magazine, East Bay? That's right. Wojcicki wrote a love letter to the magazine of his youth. We'll check it with him. And also, Angel Rodriguez, the sports editor of the LA Times, will check in and let us know the future of the department, where it's going. Remember we talked about esports? Where's that decision coming from? Recruiting? We're going to get all into that with Angel Rodriguez. I'm Bethel Duran. You're listening to the Arrive Early, Leave Late podcast. It's Wednesday, February 20th. Normally, you go up to guys and say, hey, what happened to that shot? Hey, What's at the clubhouse? Hey, what's going on? Usually you come up to guys after a game or after practice, and they don't want to talk to you, Dan Wojcicki. <laughs> because that's what most athletes are. Like, okay, the media's coming here, and they're trying to get something. But now you went up to guys, and you said, you know what? I'm just like you. Yeah, that's exactly how I put it. Um, we're the same person. That And they looked at you and said... Absolutely. Not. <laughs> 100% incorrect. <laughs> it was an interesting story that you wrote for the All-Star Weekend about the shoe culture in the NBA. And the NBA, I love it. There's a reason I have a lot of Instagram followers at Bethel Vision, so shameless plug, because I would post pictures when yes. Instagram first started of these guys' unique shoes that they could only wear during warm-ups. Correct. Then a couple years ago, the NBA changed the rules. This said, year, actually. Is it this year? Okay. This year, first year. And they said, you know what, Adam Silver, the commissioner... Hey, how about we let our guys have expression, have some feelings? How about they let us show their personality? And here we have guys who are getting creative with their shoes. And you went and wrote about a magazine? Okay. So the way this kind of all worked out was a few months back, members of our fashion team here at the LA Times, obviously. Not the sports section, right? This was, yeah. This was fashion The real team. fashion team. Yeah. These are like people who are very well dressed. Because as when you think about fashion and sports, you think of writers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, the, you know what I mean? I'm like, I just go to the nearest banana public outlet is usually where my fashion comes from. Mm-hmm. We got together upstairs here at the LA Times and they kind of said, hey, we want to do this section on sneakers for All-Star. We need someone around the NBA to help. Like, how can you help us? And we started spitballing ideas. And the one idea that I felt most passionate about, the thing I wanted to write about most, was East Bay Magazine. What's that? It's a direct mail order magazine. Now it's a subsidiary of like Foot Locker and it's a website and all this stuff. But when I was growing up, it's a magazine. You would get it quarterly. In the 90s? 90s. Late 80s, early 90s. Mm -hmm. You'd get it quarterly and it would have... Not only basketball shoes, but it would have very technically specific shoes like triple jump spikes or wrestling shoes. Or I can, like to this day, I can tell you what discus shoes look like mm-hmm. in, in the mid 1990s because I know what the Nike discus shoe looked like. And it's because of the East Bay Magazine. And the way I would like read it is like the way a snobby person would read like the Atlantic or something like that. I would pour through it, I wouldn't throw it away, I would keep it, and then I would read it again. And the East Bay Bedroom, magazine. bathroom, everywhere. everywhere. The East Bay Magazine. Never uh, ordered anything. You never ordered anything? Nope. I remember texting you and telling you, I ordered a yes, pair of did. shoes I when that. I turned six. Uh, actually, I wasn't even 16. I was 
15. I was refereeing Pee Wee soccer games and my brother had to order them for me. But the East Bay magazine, I never got it sent to me because I worked at a park. So mm-hmm. It was always there on the desk. And I was like, what is this magazine? These futuristic shoes. What are they? Because it was yeah. like the, they were show you what's coming out next season. That's the like thing. That. Yeah. I talked to Lance Stevenson about it and that's what he liked about it. Two things. I love that he called it a book. He's like, I'd get the book in the mail, like the book, right? And what he would do is he would memorize release dates and be like, oh, the new Chris Webbers are coming out on December 5th. And he'd go tell his friends and be like, nah, man, you're lying. And he would come back and like cut out them like, no, look, they're coming out December 5th. For me, East Bay 2 was the first time I saw shoes in different colors than just white or black. You know what I mean? Like, because they had team shoes. Because that's what it was originally, right? It was a company that was founded by a couple high school coaches who just wanted to be able to sell stuff to teams. Like, if your colors were white and royal, you could go buy basketball shoes that's that were white and right. royal. They, and they would they have would these mass- team uniforms. So every year, Nike would have, like, one shoe that was, like, the team shoe of the year. They would one or two shoes. And, like, Adidas would have one and Reebok would have one. And they would come in, like... 11 different colors. They'd probably be like red, maroon, orange, green, blue, but there purple, different maybe. Different kind of green. Yeah. There was a Kelly green. And a hunter. And a hunter green. <laughs> yeah. And, and so you would have all these different colors, right? And then that would be, for me, I would always be super disappointed in that shoe because that would invariably, especially when I was in high school, be the one that we would get to buy for our teams. Yeah. It's like, you mean on the team this year, like here's the team shoe. Or something like yeah, that. And, and we would get a little bit of a deal on it or something like that. But That's yeah. right. They sold team uniforms. Because mm-hmm. the uniforms that would be towards the back of the magazine would also just have like the blank. They're uh, just blank uniforms. Blank uniforms. Like that uh, that sheer color, that, that satin color. Sheen. What was the that sheen, called? Sheen, there it is. It has a name. Yeah. Dazzle material. Da- there the it is. dazzle material. <laughs> okay, so you fought for this catalog to write about yeah, it. Yeah, and the original plan was I wanted to write about like the history of it. And, and mind you, this is for right now, if you're in your... I'm in a room full of people who've never heard of East yeah. Bay. So if you're in your 30s, you're you're all about it. Early 40s, you're all about it. This was your Bible if you're a sneakerhead. That's what PJ Tucker said. Yeah, that's really? his exact words. Is This was my Bible. So how do you pitch these people in the fashion world who are really educated about it? And you're telling them, hey, I want to write about a magazine. Yeah, so I think what helped was that I had some other ideas for the section. So it like established like a level of expertise. Keep in mind you too, I didn't realize what I was walking into for the meeting and I was wearing terrible shoes probably at the time. I wasn't wearing anything like super fancy, maybe like Chucks or something. Anyway, we walk in there and we kind of start just spitballing all these ideas. And I'm like, this is this one idea that I really want to write. And I think people will be into it. And they were kind of a little skeptical, I would say at first, but I was just like, trust me, Beto, here, let me, let me slow down for a second. I have this problem where I, a lot of times, only see the world through my eyes. So I assume East Bay is super important to everybody who ever played the sport <laughs> because it was wild. So I'm like, everybody's going to love this and everybody's going to know. So when you're in a room with people who didn't, I kind of had to be like, trust me, I think if I'm going to talk to athletes about this, I think they're going to be into it. Mm-hmm. And it turned out I was really right about that. Because at this point, there are people writing about sneakers like it is a mainstream news or there there are sneaker writers. There's sneaker media. For there, sure. There's a guy following him, Sneaker Reporter. I don't know his real name. Nick DePaula is probably the most famous Nick one. Nick DePaula is on ESPN. Mm-hmm. and That is his job. That is his job about sneakers. See, I messed up because I used to take pictures of the Lakers Christmas Day shoes. It was when Kobe had the I remember bridges, this. And I would post it on Instagram and I was like, okay, cool. And then Nick Young would say, hey, take a picture of my shoes. Weirdly, like the first time I called the East Bay, 
to tell him I wanted to write the story. I called the East Bay offices in Wisconsin and I spoke to a very nice woman on the switchboard who gave me zero information. Was like, I would love to tell you more, but I can't. I'm not allowed. You need to talk to the people in New York, right? So they're owned now by a company that owns Foot Locker and Champ Sports. It's all like a big company. So then I call New York and I just repeatedly leave messages with their PR people for weeks and I never hear anything back. I can't find out if the guys who founded the company are alive or dead. We're searching LexisNexis records. Um, Nathan Fenno, who's our great enterprise reporter, I roped him in on this. I'm like, I need to try to find these people. Couldn't find them. I emailed the editors. I'm like, I'm having a really hard time tracking down these East Bay people. I was originally going to go to Wisconsin to the headquarters and NBA schedule was crazy and I wasn't able to do that. So he's just like, you care about this. Why don't you write about why you care about it? And I was like, that's Ooh. a really good idea. Who told you that? The, one, of the one, of, one of the fashion editors, yeah. Okay. And in other words, I don't care about it, but you do. So 100%. Do it. Yeah. Like, show me why you care. And so, and I had had a couple conversations with, with people about it. The first person I talked to about it was Doc Rivers. And I was like, Doc, did you guys used to get the East Bay catalog at home? And did the, how did your kids like, what would it be like? And he'd be like, Oh, they'd fight all over it. They'd grab. That's my Doc Rivers impersonation. Oh, Dan, you're crazy, freshman. Grab, grab this. And like he would tell me about how these kids would fight. And then I eventually talked to Austin about it. And he told me the story that they had sort of an unofficial rule in their family because he has a younger brother and older brother that whoever could get the catalog first could ask for a pair of shoes. And if they had good grades or whatever, they could maybe get that pair. But that meant that pair was off limits to everybody else in the house. Oh, you couldn't have the same shoes? No, like, yeah, you like you had to have your own individuality. Like, you weren't allowed to follow anybody else in your family. So there'd be this scramble for the mailbox to get the East Bay Magazine to, to look at it first, right? I didn't have this issue, but my thing was Wait, wait, that, hold on, hold on, hold on. You have three kids just waiting for the mailman to attack? Well, they, they kind of know when it comes. Yeah, yeah you have an idea, yeah. So you home and, like, you'd flip it open, and when you'd see it, it's so hard to explain. Because, again, I knew I wasn't getting anything out of it. Like... You were window shopping. Yeah, 100%. And it, it's not that, you know, I was fortunate enough to grow up in a home where I didn't lack for anything, but my parents just wouldn't give me stuff either. And I mm -hmm. wasn't a good enough child to deserve extra presents you for, for grades or anything. Okay. Yeah, you know, I wasn't. I had a basketball shoe allowance every season. I was allowed to spend, never allowed to spend more than $100. So I yeah. never had a pair of Jordans, any of that stuff. And I'd get this catalog, and I remember I would just pour through it. And I'd look at the jerseys. I'd look at, oh, my gosh, I want to get these Michigan State shorts. I want to get oh. this North Carolina jersey. The I and want, one stuff came you know, out. That, or yeah. like the and one t-shirts. Oh, my gosh, the dunk was worth three. I'd start doing it. Yeah. Get out of the lane. Here comes the train. Yeah. Um, you know, like I remember like, like the East Bay t-shirts yeah. and stuff. Yeah. And I would just pour through this catalog like... My life depends. Yeah, I would on look it. through the baseball stuff because I was a baseball player. For sure. And I'm the gloves. Like, oh, oh my gosh. I'm looking at like, oh, these these would be great. Then you go to like the sporting goods store and it's like, they don't have this. No. And I didn't realize East Bay was how I learned that infielders had smaller gloves than outfielders. They used to have that little chart. Yeah. That would show you <laughs> where what positions you should play if you use yeah, that glove. Eleven and three quarters. And like I learned about baseball ounce weight differentials yep. and stuff all and the all the training this. equipment they had in oh there. my right. gosh like the parachutes or oh, the yeah. jump shoes and all of this fun stuff remember they had the shoes the ones that they were you would jump with right the strength shoes like the platforms on the, the bottom the yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so you're essentially just on your calves yeah all the whole day. time oh yeah. what a scam anyways <laughs> and it was always like a five foot six white dude yeah like just throwing dunk. out some ferocious dunk because he wore the strength yeah, shoes Stanza wore them on the <laughs> so there's so many people driving around the jimmy right the that Jimmy, was the Jimmy. Yeah. Yeah. people were driving around like, yeah, Dan, me too, me too. We're taking people down memory lane. The Nostalgia. response has been crazy. I actually got an email from one of the founders. After the story wrote? After the story read. The story right now is being kind of passed around East Bay executives. So I keep getting all these emails from these old East Bay executives. 
Wait, first they didn't want you to know about them. Now they all. I just think whether it was people were busy getting ready for All Star, or maybe that they weren't sure how reverent the story was going to be. And for whatever reason, now though, it's like I keep getting emails about this. I got one this morning. When you would talk to the current NBA players, mentioned Lance Stevenson, PJ Tucker, mm-hmm. what was their response like? Because when a me- member of the media comes up to him with something off the wall, they usually kind of roll their eyes at it. This seems like it was one where, like, Dan, pull up a chair, bro. No, exactly. And, and it was one of those things, like we were saying, I think when you ask people about like, your sneakers, even like PJ Tucker has done thousands of interviews about his sneakers, right? He is the sneaker king of the NBA for the Houston Rockets. Really nice guy. Super interesting story beyond his shoes. You know, a dude that played overseas, you know, was on the fringes of the NBA for years before he got a chance to make a life for himself, you know, in, in his 30s. So, you know, he's talked about his shoes before. I was like, hey, so I'm thinking about writing about East Bay. And he was like, I could talk about East Bay forever. Let's talk about East Bay. Call me. Let's do this. Like, really? Yeah. Like, he wanted to talk about East Bay so badly. And, like, weirdly, we had a five minute conversation about it and we actually didn't connect on the line on it. But he was like very excited to be like, he would pull PR over and was like, hey, Tracy, like, let's do this. <laughs> like, you know, let's find time to do this. You mentioned a player like P.J. Tucker. And if you look at his Instagram, it's not much of him playing basketball. It's about the shoe culture that he's part of. Shoes and fashion, right? That's what it was. At the NBA All-Star game, eBay flew him out there for an event. He was a host of the NBA style watch, like all these other different events because of the fashion. And Dan, I think you've seen it from when you started covering the Clippers. The fashion world is taking over the NBA. Other sports do it, but in the NBA, because we see their faces, unlike the football yeah. where it's covered up, or baseball where they're usually in sports because they're there so early. <laughs> now the arrival in the NBA is being recorded. Yeah. It's like their own mini fashion walk. Yeah, for sure. There's a great story in the New York Times a few years ago during the finals. My friend Scott Cassiola wrote about essentially it being a 90-second catwalk. Like the time from the bus to the locker room, like you know there are going to be cameras on you, so you want to have some crazy designer shirt or jacket or like, I mean, players would hire stylists for this. Like to me, like that part of it is just so unrelatable. I don't relate to high fashion. The thing that I think is coolest about sneakers is that a cool pair of like an Air Jordan colorway is like $180. And like, that's a sizable amount of money, but not to like be on the same plane as like a millionaire. Like it's a way, it's a common ground, right? Is that it's a way of sort of like keeping up with the Joneses. You can spend money on sneakers. Sneakers aren't that big of an investment. Now some are. And there was a story in the section about like the really ultra rare releases yeah. that are, you know, the holy grail can be shoes. like yeah, it can be like six figures and stuff like that. But what I'm talking about is just like they're going to re-release a, an old pair of Air Jordans this weekend. People are going crazy for it. Yeah, and everybody can do it. You just told me that before we started the podcast. This is something where you have something in common. With these athletes. For sure. And there aren't very many things. And I think as a reporter, that's something I'm always trying to do is trying to find ways to like have, whether it's what shows you're watching on Netflix, like those guys all watch Netflix because they travel a lot. So it's like, what are you binging? Like that's a way to find a little common ground. That's the whole point of this, right? Was in the beginning to put an athlete's name or a face on a shoe because you can be like that person by wearing the same shoes as them. You get to cover a lot of cool things for you to go down memory lane how cool was it for you? My favorite part was I got to interview my mom for it. Your mom was on? That's, that was my favorite part of that Your story. mom got it. And what did she say? She said you would wait for the magazine to come in the mail. You would grab it. We wouldn't see you for like hours. You'd go pour through it. And you'd ask me for a whole bunch of stuff and you'd get none of it. Now, do you kind of tell your mom, look, mom, because of you, I was able to write a story. She's very proud of me. 
she enjoyed that she got to be interviewed. Not even like a special like Mother's Day story where my mom was my biggest inspiration. No, it's mom didn't buy me any shoes. The only other thing she's ever asked of me as a journalist, and I couldn't do it because it was unethical, is she wanted me to get a picture with Matt Barnes. Matt Barnes? Her favorite player ever. Your mom likes to mix it up or what? I know. She loves Matt Barnes. Matt Barnes is a good dude. I know. I like him. My like totally like white red Midwestern conservative mother loves Matt Barnes. Okay, so now your job, you're a columnist for the NBA, right? National NBA. National right. NBA guy. So you get to go around the country. You mentioned Doc Rivers kind of rolled his eyes at you. Some of these other guys are like, yeah, roll, I mean, he just always rolls but his eyes. you must have got some guys looking at you like, damn, what are you doing? What not you on this one. No, not at all, huh? Not on, not on like, everybody I talked to about East Bay was super excited to talk about East Bay. When I talked to Spencer Dinwiddie, LA kid who's done something kind of cool, he went out and kind of started his own brand because he was ignored by Nike and Adidas and all of that stuff as he was kind of trying to bounce between the G League and the NBA. He hooked up with an artist out here and every game he wears a different one-of-one customized shoe. I've joked in the story that he set an NBA record by scoring the most points in a game ever when you play with Beyonce's face on your feet. He had Beyonce shoes? Yeah, in Houston, because she's from Houston. So he does it everywhere he goes. Like, for Halloween, his favorite Halloween movie is Child's Play, so he had, like, Chucky-themed shoes. And, and like, he's done this in all these different places. He was in Chicago, he honored Barack Obama, and they, he did, like, a Colin Kaepernick shoe. He's done all sorts of stuff. It's been a cool little project for him. And he sells his shoes online for charity and stuff, and, uh, yeah, it's fun. So, Warky, you have creative freedom to do what you want, but at the same time, your bosses... They roll their eyes at some of the stories suggestions you have. They're a real drag. Angel Rodriguez, sports editor of the LA Times, and I'm pretty sure you're thinking, what do you two do talking about a magazine? But there are people driving around or going, you know what? This is exactly it. It's taking me back to your youth. And this is what the podcast does. It makes you think a little bit and takes you down memory lane. But I know you rolled your eyes when you thought about a magazine. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. I did roll my <laughs> eyes. He didn't see it, I don't think. <laughs> But yeah, you know, you try to give people their time and the space to kind of write stories that they're passionate about. And Dan, I think over 50 minutes of this podcast has shown his uh, appreciation yeah, for the East Bay, East Bay catalog. It's different. It's yeah. what makes a newsroom a newsroom. Is Angel, what's the configuration of a high jump spike? Do you know? Exactly. I don't know. <laughs> Leave him alone. Leave him alone. But <laughs> I saw a photo. It was Yasiel Puig and Joey Votto. Yeah. And the spike configuration of their Nikes looked different Way than what different. I... Oh. It, it seemed like there was a lot more. The technology is different, man. Uh, there was a lot more spikes up front, which makes a lot of sense. Before, I think when I played, it, it was, was like three. you had one, you had one in the front and two on the side, and then the stuff on the back. But now they had like seven, and I'm like, oh man, that would have been. It, it's different. This is podcast gold, by the way. You know, spike configuration. You know, there was a product that if you didn't want to buy the $180 high jump spikes, it was like a little contraption that you just slapped onto your heel to give you extra. Wookie really paid attention to that magazine. The LA Times, like you guys. Terrific high jumper, Angel. I was a really good high jumper. <laughs> I could tell. I, yeah. Well, like if you better want to stick around, you better change the topic now. <laughs> when you are thinking outside of the box, it was Dan said it was the fashion department, but it was yeah, yeah. it wasn't just Dan right. writing stuff. The LZ Granderson did a video. It was right. five different sections, and I was pouring through this. Next thing I know, I read everything on one city. And I'm not a sneaker guy, but the way that it was incorporated. How did this idea come about? And I don't know exactly where it came from initially, but I know it was Kimi Yoshino, my boss, who's the senior deputy managing editor in charge of sports and a bunch of other sections. And I know that she had seen a story maybe or some tweets about sneakers and uh, it piqued her interest. She and was, I think she wasn't, she surprised at how much people cared, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, she was, it was very much just like how you want to be able to approach things where it's like, yeah. oh, someone 
who is not a sports fiend, but is not like living and dying by box scores, has an interest in something that's in sports. And then that's obviously like, okay, these type stories cross the Venn diagram of people that care about it is much bigger than just who cares about how many points LeBron scored last night. And so as we started getting into the story and you start bringing people in from different departments of the newsroom, different stories develop and, you know, the fashion people bring their stuff and Dan and Tanya and LZ brought their own background into it. And so it was a kind of a cool package. And then the real star of all this stuff outside of the writing and the, and the editing, I think was the illustrations. So cool. This yeah. is also yeah. a very difficult project to visualize if in terms of photography. So we really needed the design department to put that together. Here's how you know it really made an impact. I saw this story. I follow the sneakerhead people. Yeah. I'm not a sneaker guy unless they're free uh, or they're gift cards. But the reason I knew it was making impact is because I was seeing the story being retweeted in the sneaker world circles. This is coming from the LA Times fashion section because right. the story that they fit, featured on Kickstradamus, who I actually right, right. know where he's- You had him on your I had him on the, uh, show. the daily show. Yeah, or the, yeah. the radio show. And yeah. he- I was like, wait a minute, this guy's doing stuff with LA Times. I'm like, yo, what about me? He's like, they approached me. But I saw those stories getting shared all over the place. But here's how I know that it really made the impact. My eighth grade son, who plays basketball, that story, I sent it to him. He sends it to his friends. And next thing I know, I go to this tournament last weekend. Ten kids, all in eighth grade, are asking me about these stories, and we're talking about it. That led to a discussion. And these kids are sharing. Did you sell any subscriptions? <laughs> we need to work out a commission plan here. <laughs> that that right there is what you want to do now. For as sure. in newspapers, you're trying to open up people to different eyes. I mentioned in the East Bay to my son. My son, why would you have to? Just go on somebody's Instagram. All the new stuff is there. Or just go to eastbay.com. Yeah, but they don't have to go to a catalog anymore. You, you know what I mean? You brought just... to you by eastbay.com. <laughs> yeah. My point late. is, you have to think outside of the box as a newspaper. It's no longer the right. newspaper that we knew growing up or we knew a couple years ago. Because now, not only do you have, okay, say the fashion world, that's one thing. You can only do that so long. Arash is doing esports. Yeah. And so it's one of those things that we really have over the last year, two years, really try to focus on is try to expand what we do and the audience that we're going after. And we have to do that because, look, advertising revenue in the newspaper is going down. Subscribers in print is going down. Uh, we have to find ways to bring in a new audience. And so one of the things that we've been trying to do is trying to figure out, okay, where are these audiences? Where are they? What does our community want us to write about? Where are, the, are those areas of interest that we haven't gone after before? And we've done that even before the last three, four years with boxing and MMA, uh, made a big play there. And so now we hired Arash Markazi recently. He's going to be doing esports. Sports gambling is another area that I think is going to be huge, not only in Los Angeles, but nationally. And Want to bet? Oh, see, this is why you're not a bite on the podcast. <laughs> and I told, I, you know, and I said, wait, you're going to have a gambling let's keep, writer? Let's keep Dan in in my part of the podcast to kind of liven it up. And he rolls out a, you want to bet. Sports betting, that's something you're going to. Yeah. I mean, so once the Supreme Court gave the states the ability to legalize sports betting and a couple states followed Nevada's policy of of legalizing sports gambling. New Jersey does it, Mississippi and I think New Hampshire or Delaware do it. You're going to be able to go to Santa Anita and bet on college football or the NFL. You'll be able or, to do it at Staples Center maybe. Even. Or wherever. Yeah. yeah. How and so? I, Kiosks and yeah, stuff yeah, or, yeah. or even better on your phone. You'll be able to do it everywhere. Yeah. Really? Yeah. And yeah. we That's actually the NBA has talked about. Oh, actually, yes. Dan, you know the NBA. Yeah, league, the NBA is very active in this. Yeah, and we'll have uh, that's one of the stories Arash is working on right now and I'm not I won't disclose too much about what exactly he picked up, but how we watch games is going to change between now and 5 years. Like you were talking about the the transition of seeing something on an eBay catalog to an Instagram. 
we're going to start seeing that in how people interact with games. And it's going to really allow, it's going to be a connectivity issue. It's going to be the stadiums being able to really set themselves up in order to do a lot of the in-game gambling, I think. That would be a, a big part of it. And so those taboos that 10, 15 years ago sports departments had not just sports departments but espns and the tv outlets about not really mentioning the lines or yeah. not really mentioning well they're on the ticker now right on espn yeah. well it's slowly happening right yeah. it's like you have teams in vegas you well, have, used to be brent musburger saying our friends of the desert now it's like legit networks yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and that was the thing it was like musburger or al michaels would throw in you know if a play at the end of the game flipped the oh flipped that the really lines. went over right their yeah, heads. yeah yeah right exactly yeah. and so we have decided that that sort of wink and a nod is is just a really dumb way to go about doing things. It's like we need to realize how fans interact with sports. And huh. we know that a certain amount of sports fans care about betting on the sport, care about what the over-under is and what the futures bets are and those things. And so we want to be able to provide that because we do feel like that's happening, especially since Las Vegas is so close. Yeah. It's basically a, a suburb of, of L.A. And, you know, 30 percent of the of the people that, that are in Vegas calls it heads and beds. 30% is Southern California there on, on any given weekend. If it's really? Cinco de Mayo oh, or September huge. 16th, it's probably 50 to 60%. Yeah. Yep. And so we understand that that's a market and how we need to approach things. Do you think it'll be something where, you know, when we write about, say the Lakers are playing, I mean, the Lakers are playing the Rockets this week. Do you think it'll be to the point now when we preview that game, that somewhere in that preview will be the line, that somewhere in that preview will be the over-under I mean, I don't know if it's going to be so, so much written in your copy, but just like we do the TV, you know, what channel That's it's what on I was wondering, and like, all Yeah, that like stuff, in the presentation box, right? I think so, because people care about that. And we need to get to that point where it doesn't feel weird for us to talk about what the line is, because it's going to become not just one of those things that people do once a year when they travel to Vegas and, you know, have a big blowout weekend or whatever. People are going to have the ability to do it if you live in a state that legalizes it going to be able to do it while you're watching a game in your house on your phone. Do you think about that, Dan, when you write about the gambling? I have a couple times in my life where it's been really obvious. There was a USC-Stanford game where I knew my parents were in Vegas at the time. I think it was the What's Your Deal game when Harbaugh, oh, Harbaugh and Pete Carroll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, because uh, it was 38-point spread, I think. Or something like that. And USC called a timeout, and Stanford was going to just end the game, and they came out and kicked a field goal, and they covered. Yeah. And then I happened to be in Vegas last year for one day during the NCAA tournament, and being able to watch a room full of people sweat a spread is really exciting. Yeah. What about when you write? Do you think about that? Not really, but no. I think it's something I probably should think about in the sense, because if it's a 17-point game, you know what I mean, and those garbage-time baskets happen, it'd be just fun to know. You know what I mean? And I don't know that it would come into my daily coverage or anything like that. Let's say, for instance, the 14th guy on the Clippers bench has a knack for blowing over-unders. That might be a fun story to write at some point. Huh. If in five years you're able to make a bet at a kiosk at Staples Center, you know, you see it now with people freaking out about if they're going to get free pizzas tacos. Tacos. or tacos or whatever. They keep track of how many times the Lakers get tacos. And if literally one shot can swing Same tens thing. of thousands of dollars, mm -hmm. you're going to see those stadiums. A, people are going to stay around a lot longer. B, the TV ratings will probably go up as well if there's a sector of the population that's being able to bet on it. And the vibe of the arena is going to really change. I don't know how that affects the players. I mean, I if think it's now that's another thing. Where well, a lot like of the guys don't know. even know what the spread is. Well, and that's a good that's a good story idea right now is because these... Are right, it, edit that out. That way Dan doesn't share <laughs> with anybody else. No, I was going to say, but like the, uh, the way that we talk about like arenas that do all of this stuff, right, is like, what is it like to be on the free throw line in a 17-point game, miss one free throw and hear the crowd go nuts? Like you're right. shooting a game-winning free throw right. just so they can get a free chicken sandwich if you miss both. I wonder if anybody's ever done a story about the guys who come to L.A. play the Lakers and they hit the shot to 
not give the fans talk about. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, I think that's sort of the same overall kind of yeah. idea here. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Is you add extra sets of consequences to things that we always thought were just wins and losses. Right. It literally goes from a forty-nine cent taco at Taco Bell to potentially tens of thousands of dollars if you're gambling right there. Yeah. When you look at the newspaper now, I've started looking at the newspaper. Welcome back. Well, here's why. I kid you not. So my dad who's 77, he loves the track. LA Times, doing more of a thing for the horse racing. So mm-hmm. he's buying the newspaper again So when I go to his house. But that's not for me. I go online. I have everything online. But what I've noticed is that you, the LA Times, I don't know if it's you, Angel, or what department, you're doing more of a feature on preps and the recruiting world. I don't know who this person is. Shotgun Yeah, Spratling? Shotgun Spratling. So, the best. you know, one of the things great that name. we haven't done yeah, great name, much of, and what we talk about these sort of niche things that we need to get involved in, one of the things that we hadn't done much with is college recruiting. And this is a hotbed for recruiting, not just from the college programs that recruit locally, but from the local players that go around the country and play. And so we thought, okay, this is a little bit of a, of a opportunity that we have. It's a market that's packed with other people that do it really, really well. But if we're able to bring a little bit of the storytelling along with the breaking news aspect of it, we think it's one of those things that people will start paying attention to as well because it's sort of like you can't be all things to everybody, but at least you can try to give a, an idea of what's happening. Because that recruiting that world care. is huge. Yeah. People want to know. You came from that world, didn't you? Yeah. And, and I think that's the thing. Like Angel touched on it there. And I think that's sort of the key to our growth in these areas that are new is the storytelling aspect of it, right? Is that we can read Bill Plasky write about a bugler and have it matter. Yeah. He, he wrote what about a bugler? Oh, you didn't see the Sunday, well, Sunday story. The, you know the guy at Santa Anita who did? Yeah, been there forever. Yeah, yeah. Well, he has uh, Bell's palsy, so Ooh. he's not been able to perform in a while, and so that's... Oh, I got to read that one. I need to visit my mom. I, that's the general idea. That applies to recruiting. It applies to esports. Yeah. That yeah. ultimately, and this to tie it all back to sneakers, like we're all, I believe, as human beings looking to find ways to relate with one another and to have things in common and, yeah. and, and to like share stories. To me, that's the brilliance in being able when you spread out and you approach things and say, yeah, there are places that are going to do recruiting in a better nuts and bolts way because it's all they do. But what we're going to do is we're going to tell you the best stories in the best possible way. And you're going to learn about these people. You're going to care about the process. And you're going to, even if you don't care about recruiting, just like the way that room full of people didn't necessarily care about NBA people and what they thought of shoes inherently. If you do it in a good enough way, everybody gets right. And that's the key, right? Is you're not going to potentially want to wake up in the morning and go, Oh, let me see what's the latest with UCLA gymnastics. That's a great example. But, Caitlin Ohashi has a great performance, yeah. and then it's like, oh, I want to read more about her. Oh, here it is. Here's She's like it. wildly charismatic person yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Right, and so that's the thing. It's like you you wake up in the morning, and you're like, oh, you know, if you're a fan of the Lakers or the Dodgers or Clippers, whoever it might be, you know that you're going to open the LA Times and read that. But if you're able to also see stories that it gets thrown around a lot in newsrooms about, you know, you want to surprise people when they open the newspaper every day and give them something that they're not used to seeing. That's what we're trying to That's do in a number my, of ways. why they're like, bring Angel in. I'm like, because I was curious. I, you and I are, well, yeah, we're friends. Yeah. Yeah, we're friends. Yeah, yeah. But I, we can't, go back. I can't ask you work stuff because you're also my boss. So I can't really get into like, hey, why'd you do this? Hey, why'd you do that? Because one, I got to know my role as you, me, I'm, I'm not going to say, hey, why did you write, have this story done? That's why I wanted you to come in here to try to explain the different- I think you might be the one person on the staff who yeah. doesn't do that. Oh. That's literally what I get nonstop. Better we'll talk later. Why'd you do this or why'd this happen? <laughs> Teach me your ways. Why was this story on the front page or why- you There are know. better ways to do it. Really? Oh, I'm for sure. doing this wrong. I like that you're doing it in here because now it's, there's a record for it. That's what I like about well, it. Well, part of the reason I want you in here is to explain to the listener and the, the reader what's going on. Because if you look at the LA Times, it's no longer X's and O's. It's more 
storytelling, it feels like the last couple of months. I think that's where we're trying to move to because, again, Dr. Patrick, uh, our owner, has talked about a 100-year plan, and this really involves, you know, the New York Times just announced their digital subscriptions. They have 3.3 million digital subscribers. That's a healthy, healthy business that does not rely on newspaper advertising or the print paper being delivered. And so as we do that, we know how difficult it is to get people to pay for content. We have to be able to give them something that they feel like they can't get anywhere else. And whatever the payment plan is or current specials are going on, um, that if they're spending $5 a month or $9 a month, that they're getting their money's worth. I recently subscribed. Yeah. Good. I mean, that was, I tweeted something the other day, the Sunday newspaper. We had an entire section of sneakers, right? I think 11 stories in that section or something like that. Yep. And we had five NBA stories in sports. So before the NBA All-Star game, we had 16 essentially basketball related stories, not counting college and preps. Yeah. Which to me is like, if you're a basketball fan, that's wild. There's no other paper in the country. That's and it's, that a, it's that. a very competitive marketplace. I mean, The Athletic has done a really great job of painting themselves as like the, the cool kids on the block. What they did was they did a really great job of sort of coming at us where our weaknesses are in terms of they have a very clean website. No deadlines. No deadlines. So those are the type of things that we understand is our competition. And so we need to be able to use our might in different ways to make sure that when people are contemplating whether you know where they're going to spend their money that that they spend it with us well thank you for joining us angel rodriguez and dan warkey this might have been a little bit too much behind the scenes of the la times but it's good though we it let the people know what we're doing for them it's not just a podcast to hey, rehash things but it's more of taking behind the scenes i think people the reaction that i get when i i talk to them about the podcast it's like i like hearing the stories and i think people like knowing what goes into their product because the sports page is the only one that has a positive news every morning, right? Uh, every morning, well, there's something positive <laughs> on the sports page. Probably, if you have if you have a story on you know Lynn Swan and the Trojans and uh, okay for ninety nine percent not signing. Man, I, I was on a just go with it, Angel. Stop being. I'm channeling editor. Dylan Hernandez right now, or uh, or Dylan of, Hernandez, or just Dylan, <laughs> right? Or Dylan Hernandez. So, so um, that little bit behind the scenes, maybe a little too much inside baseball. But it was fun, educational. For the fans of the Arrive Early Leave Late podcast. Dan Wojcicki, your social media is? At Dan Wojcicki Sports on Twitter and Instagram. And hopefully one day your mom will buy you a pair of shoes from Let's East Bay. So. Angel Rodriguez, AJ Rod. Correct. And I can text you my complaints now? You can. I no guarantee I'm going to look at it. I'd go but... right into the office. I don't know where his office is at. Oh, stop it. Oh, high up on the sixth floor somewhere. I'm on the ninth floor. Yeah, in our studio, outside of the building. For everybody involved, make sure you guys rate, review, subscribe, and Share, share, share. Dave Wine is the producer of this podcast. Engineered by Mike Kaplan. Angel Rodriguez, the sports editor. I'm Beth Durant. Thanks as always for listening to the Arrive Early, Leave Late podcast. And make sure you guys go to the homepage, latimes.com slash podcast, latimes.com slash podcast.